Welcome to the Less Doing Podcast, where you will learn how to start living more by doing less. Let me help you optimize, automate, and outsource your entire life so you can focus on doing the things you love. Now here's your host, Ari Mizell. Welcome back to the Less Doing Podcast. I'm your host, Ari Mizell, and my guest today is Elaine Pofelt, who is a, uh, an independent journalist and speaker who specializes in careers and entrepreneurship, and she's the author of the new book, The Million Dollar One-Person Business, uh, which talks about how entrepreneurs are scaling to a million dollars in revenue prior to hiring employees, which is awesome. So, Elaine, thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. Thank you so much, Ari. It's great to be here. Um, and, and, and by here, I think it's worthwhile pointing out that uh, Elaine and I both have four kids and we're both in our cars independently right now recording this podcast. So that is life when you're busy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so what got you interested in this particular sort of segment of entrepreneurs? I've been a journalist for many years writing about entrepreneurship and have done a lot of coverage of scalable entrepreneurs. And one of the things that I noticed was we really don't pay attention to this giant segment of the entrepreneurial landscape, the one-person business. But if you, if you look at the numbers, there are about 28 million small businesses in the United States, and the vast majority are called non-employer businesses by the government. That means they have no employees other than the owners. And what I found was... These employees, these um, businesses are given short shrift. They're viewed almost as people that failed to scale. They don't get their due, and yet they're very happy. They have great lifestyles. And so when I came across U.S. Census Bureau statistics showing that a growing number were breaking into the revenue category of 1 to 2.49 million, I got very interested and started writing about it. And what... uh do you see in the research that you've done on the interviews and stuff that there is a particular segment, industry, or geography where this is easier or happens more often? Definitely. The, the highest revenue categories for non-employer businesses are things like running a hedge fund or being a successful actor or actress, but those things are not that accessible to the average person. So when I looked at the categories, the ones I focused on were those most accessible. E-commerce, I think, would be the most accessible. And it's the one where I see individuals getting up to $3.5 to $4 million in revenue with no employees. Um, there, there are other categories, though, too. Professional services is a good one. You have people that are highly compensated professionals, attorneys, accountants, people with a lot to bring to the table, IT professionals who can create a business where they can bring in more than $1 million in revenue. Um, personal services, so people like nutritionists, fitness trainers, people like that who build a following and maybe have adjunct products. In another one of the categories, which is informational marketing, can do quite well. So they might do webinars. They might do a very successful ebook, They might do courses, uh, courses on Teachable. And other platforms like it are um, a hot area right now where I see people getting above $1 million if they have something really good to offer. One category I did not expect was manufacturing. You'll see people that are using co-packers to create food products. A co-packer is a plant that will 
put the labels on the jar and safely put the food in the jar so that you can sell it in a supermarket and nobody will be poisoned. Um, you can't really make a food product in your kitchen and sell it on any um, level of scale. And then real estate is another one where you can do that on the side in many careers if you have a little bit of extra time. There, there's one entrepreneur in the book, Corey Binsfield, who is a um, financial planner who lives in Duluth, Minnesota. And over a period of probably about 20 years now, he has amassed 116 rental properties. They're duplexes, um, reinvesting the money from one to buy the next one. And that became his million-dollar one-person business. And well, okay, but so... That, and and that that in itself sort of makes sense to me, right? Like there are there's obviously more access, we can reach more globally and stuff. But there's obviously you know I'd say ninety five percent of those smaller financial planners who never make it anywhere near that, and certainly never do it without employees, right? So is there is there some you know sort of I hate to use the word like secret sauce, but is there something there that sort of differentiates the differentiates those people that do hit that mark. Absolutely. I, I, I think in a lot of ways it comes down to process. And I know that sounds really boring, but it's really exciting when you see the results. <laughs> Pardon me? Nothing about process oh. is boring to me. Oh, okay. Awesome. Well, well, one thing that they do is automate a lot, which you are obviously a big expert in, and I've learned so much from, from you, Ari, about that. Um, they'll use a lot of different apps and tools to take away a lot of the menial tasks from the business so they can focus on the higher level things that really move the business forward. They use freelancers and the um, rise of platforms like Upwork, Freelancer, People Per Hour has made that a lot easier. They'll use virtual assistants. So they're not doing all of the work themselves, even though they're non-employer businesses by the government definition and how they pay their taxes there are other people that are supporting cast for the business. The other thing I'll do is use outsource services. That might be something like fulfillment by Amazon. So if they're doing e-commerce, they're not packing up every box themselves because that isn't really growing the business. That's, that's tedium really. Um, and they might use other services for things like handling their invoicing. One of the entrepreneurs who keeps on growing his business, Harry Ein, is a seller of swag, so those tote bags with the bank's name on it, that type of thing. He runs it from his garage. He's a young dad who is very involved with coaching his son's sports teams and doing a lot of activities with him. He wants to protect his time, but he also wants to grow the business. He has gotten to about $4 million in revenue currently, and the way he does it is using a back office service specifically for swag sellers called I Promote You, which does a lot of the paperwork of the business. And as his cash flow has grown, he's used more of the service. So he hasn't outpaced his ability to pay for the help that he needs. Um, so those are, those are really important things. I think they step back from the business more than the average person running a one-person business and think about, okay, how am I doing things? How can I document what I'm doing so that somebody else can do it so that they don't have to keep repeating themselves over and over again? You know, if they, for instance, have to use multiple freelancers, sometimes as you scale a business, some of them have hundreds of, of freelancers working for them. If you document things, it makes it much more standardized. It ensures good quality in what you're selling and it, and it helps you to scale. 
Well, now, so it's, it's, uh, it's near and dear to me because I am, I'm, at least in my businesses, I'm very, I've always been sort of like against having uh, someone be an actual employee. And I always found not only is it a better relationship for me and cost wise and forecasting wise for my business, but I feel like I get better work out of people when they are in a sort of contractor state. Now, obviously it doesn't work for every business, but do you see this as something of an indicator that maybe the, the concept of an employee is going to sort of change in general? Absolutely. I am in total agreement with you because when you think about it, when somebody is an employee of a company, there's a certain point at which their interests are misaligned with the companies, right? Because the company is made um, to gain profits. Basically, that's the purpose of, of a for-profit business is <laughs> to generate profit. So how, how do they generate profits? By paying employees less then their work is worth so that they can mark up the work. So it is, that, that's why we have labor unions and things like that. I mean, their interests are not the same. When you are using a contractor, you both get ahead if you give them work, right? Business is growing and so is yours. So you're in total alignment. Sometimes you do need an employee because of labor laws. Um, you, you, if you're doing hourly work, if you're outsourcing hourly work, you, you might not be able to use a contractor, in which case you, you have to think about how to make sure that your employee is gaining something from the relationship too, so that they benefit if your business grows. So your interests are aligned. But, but I think you're right that that whole relationship is fraught with challenges and it, it's very hard to resolve them because at the core, you have opposing interests. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, that's how I always see it. So when these, uh, well, and obviously, as you said, you had people with hundreds of freelancers, right? So what is the, the, the sort of management skills of that sort of have to come into play at some point, right? Because the person who can manage two freelancers when they're making a hundred or two hundred thousand dollars, they either have to really learn really quick or have some really good mentors or something if they're not going to bring somebody else in to be able to manage that at scale at a million and and more. That's a good point. Sometimes what I have found is they will use agencies that find the freelancers for them. So um, one entrepreneur I found after writing the book who I wrote about for Crane's New York business, Selena Cuff, she um, is a wine seller. She imports wine from South Africa and her, she uses hundreds of freelance sommeliers to do wine tastings around the holidays. She doesn't need year-round employees because the holidays are really when she does the most sales and she gets them from an agency. So she doesn't really have all the logistical issues of managing them, which could really get thorny when, when you, you have that many. Um, I, I would say that often is a good way to do it. I've seen with some of the entrepreneurs, they will use, um, outsource customer service personnel who come through an agency that manages them for them. So they're freelancers once removed. And that often is the best way when you have a lot of them. If not, what, I, what I've seen people do is as they start adding more, it's similar to adding employees, you start putting more processes in place and documenting how a customer service call should be handled or how such and such a job should be done, or you know, what we expect a video that we produce to contain, or how an article should be written. As a freelance writer, for instance, I write for publications that often employ hundreds of different freelance writers. They'll send me writer's guidelines. They'll send me a format for how the headlines should be laid out and the um, 
secondary copy, um, the body copy, where it goes, so that they have a lot less fixing it when it comes in because I know what is expected of me. That That's important. People don't often slow down to put those things in place, but if you do in the long run, it will save you time. And do you see situations where people are, I mean, look, if you have a business that is growing this way and it has dozens or even hundreds of freelancers and they're doing a million or, or two million or more, is it feasible that that kind of a company that starts off that way and scales that way and has those processes could scale you know, way beyond that uh, without having to ever have employees. Uh, I mean, I guess at some point you do need a leadership team of teams, but you know, what's the limit, right? Could they get to 10 million? Could they get to $50 million in revenue and never having an employee? I know they can get to 10 million because I, I know of one example. I've not been able to get the interview with this person, but I know that there is at least one. Um, I, I, I think there is no limit to it because there's no limit to how technology will change. And I think technology is really what's driving this trend. We, we can do so much more as individuals than we ever could do before at very low cost. What, one example I often think about is a website, right? Ten years ago, I remember advising a client who needed a business website that to put his website up and have all the features he wanted, it would cost $50,000. And I was working in-house in a corporation prior to working with him. And I had just priced this out. And I knew nowadays that's laughable. It would never cost that much unless it was a really big company site. So when you think about just that alone, right, anybody can just put up a website, the things we can do with our phones, in terms of processing transactions, live streaming video, all, all the many different things. Um, I just think it's unlimited. And I, I am going to be really fascinated to see how far people can take it. I, um, I, I talked to one venture capitalist who thought it was possible that there could be a one-person business with a $1 billion valuation. Um, that wasn't revenue, it was valuation, but who knows? You know, who knows, but uh, I would like to challenge anybody listening <laughs> to see how far you can take it. I think we're just seeing the beginnings of this. Right now, there are over 36,000 businesses out of the 28 million that are in this category. Um, that, that's tiny, right? It's a tiny percentage of the total. But that's because, in part, people don't even know it's possible. So people... I think set artificial limits on their own business growth thinking, oh, there's, you know, there's a certain point where I just, I have to have an employee and maybe they don't. And maybe like you pointed out, maybe the relationship with a contractor might be better. I am not against hiring employees though. I, you know, I think there are just certain times when maybe you need somebody around all the time. You need a lot of control over their time. You need to train them. You need to dress them in a uniform or whatever it may be. There are certain things that make somebody an employee. I would say if you, if I mean, you can look at the labor um, department's criteria for that. You shouldn't break labor laws in order to um, meet this challenge. <laughs> but if, but a lot of times you don't need someone in an employee role. Like if it's a web designer or somebody that you use occasionally, you probably don't need them on payroll, and they may not want to be anyway. So I, I would say try to take it as far as you can take it and then get in touch with me and let me know because I'd I'd love to hear the story of how you did it. Yeah, I, you sort of answer what my next question would be. So that, that's, that's fascinating to me. Um, and, I, and I love seeing this happening more and more. So the, the last question that I always like to ask in these interviews is, what are your top three pieces of advice for people to be more effective? 
you can interpret that however you like. I think you have to be very open to what is going on in real time in your market. A lot of people see things on the internet about creating a funnel business or, you know, five easy steps to an automatic no work business. The businesses in this book are not those types of businesses. These are real businesses with real products, real services. They're not automatic. There's some legwork to it. And that the owners are real-time learners. They're constantly taking in feedback from their customers and from the market and fine-tuning the business to reflect what is needed for it to succeed. So you've got to be fully engaged in it. And you've got to be open to being a student of what the market is teaching you and not, not really expect shortcuts. The shortcuts are in, in terms of automating and that sort of thing. But the bigger stuff in the business, like thinking about the strategy, none of that can be automated if you want to grow a business. I would say people are very important. Even though we're talking about one-person businesses and partnerships, nobody operates in a vacuum. And the success of these owners is because they are connected to other people. They're connected to their customers. They talk to them. A lot of them even know each other. They, they talk to other entrepreneurs. They're out there. They, they stay focused on their business, but they also get out and get feedback from other people, mentors, coaches. They go to weekend workshops and things like that because they, 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 they know that they need to be connected with other people. And then the final piece of advice, if you haven't started a business, is have a bias to action. Don't just sit around reading books and listening to podcasts and thinking about it. At a certain point, you got to just take the leap and do it. There's no substitute for doing. And the people that really build a business are the people who go out and get that first customer. Once you have a customer and you have sold something, it's becoming a business. And if you keep doing that repeatedly, you will have a business. I see a lot of people they um, expect perfection of themselves and it holds them back and then they never go after their dreams. So I would say try things. Do not be afraid to make mistakes. Everybody in these businesses has made a lot of mistakes, but the difference is they just kept on doing it until they got things right. So those are my um, pieces of advice. And those are wonderful. Thank you. And so where can people find out more about you and of course, pick up the book. They, they can find out more about me and the book at the website, themilliondollaronepersonbusiness.com. It's all written out in words, not numbers. And um, the book is available in major bookstores and on amazon.com. Wonderful. Well, Elaine, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much, Ari. This was a lot of fun. Thanks for listening to the Less Doing Podcast. At Less Doing, we help entrepreneurs who have opportunity in excess of what their infrastructure can support to set up systems and processes that empower a team to ultimately make themselves more replaceable. That way they can optimize, automate, and outsource everything in their businesses in order to be more effective. If you want to find out more about Less Doing, the podcast, the blog, the books, and all of the wonderful programs we offer to help you get from where you are to where you know you want to be, go to lessdoing.com slash podcast and check out our OAO blueprint so you can get started today.